I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I played against five Rangers managers, and every time, they were coming. Those were the words of a jubilant Brendan Rodgers in the press conference after a 2-1 victory in the Derby. Celtic lead in the Scottish League. They go further ahead of Rangers and they are in a more comfortable position than before the Derby. Let's put it that way. They also beat St Mirren 3-0 last night. That's what we're going to be talking about at the end of the podcast. But it is the new year. It's the first episode of 2024. Alan Morrison is with me, Celtic by Numbers. Chico James is as well. And Alan, we have a victory on Derby Day to look back on. Very, very happy men on the huddle breakdown this year. Yeah, for sure. Again, ultimately, we've got to remember that as in an enlarged Champions League group stage on offer for the SPFL champions at the end of this season, and estimates anywhere between 50 and 60 million likely revenue from that expanded tournament which, again, in the context of Scottish football, is enormous sums of money. So it's absolutely vital that Celtic uh, can win the league this season for, for, for many reasons. So this was a very pleasing win in that regard. Um, you know, there's a lot of bones to pick out in terms of the quality of the game, perhaps. I do think that because both sides pressed so high, uh, and I think we saw this a little bit when we played Leipzig last year, it can make the game look really awful. Uh, and, and so it can, it can, you know, because both teams are pressing high, everybody's under pressure. Players are rushing their passes. Obviously, the the, the rain was and the wind was and all that. The surface was slick and probably a little bit patchy. So all those things contribute to perhaps it not being a spectacle uh, in that regard. But nevertheless, it means you have to win that particular particular battle. And certainly, I think in the area of pressing and counter-pressing was, was one of the key areas that Celtic uh, achieved pretty much dominance over their opponents, uh, although it was a very lopsided game. What I mean by that is that all the good play from the Rangers came down their right, uh, where McCausland was, had a very good game, especially off the ball, actually. And Tavernier, as he usually is, was their most creative player. Whereas on the left-hand side, Yilmaz is just quite poor, and Sima was appalling on the day. I mean, absolutely dreadful. But on the Celtic right, Johnson and Maida were awful. And on the left, you know, Taylor and, uh, and Palmer actually had pretty good day. So all the all the good stuff was on the one side of the pitch and all the bad stuff was on the other. So it kind of made it really lopsided. But the one area of the pitch where Celtic, I think, achieved dominance, maybe two, 
there was moments, obviously, you know, you can, can the, the contrast between Kyogo's taking his chance and, and Dessa's not is clearly a, a huge, two huge moments in the game, but more sort of structurally to the to the to the game was really the central midfield area. Um, you had Bernardo um, O'Reilly and McGregor had something like twenty-seven counter presses, and I think like Lundstrom had one. Sterling might have had six or seven. And Cantwell had a couple. It was like Celtic were just so much more uh, aggressive and coordinated in the midfield press than they were. And in that key area, I think that's where the, the major battle was won. You know, Cantwell was charged to, to shut down McGregor, which he com- almost completely failed to do. Lundstrom may well have been a little bit hampered by by injury, but he's not the most mobile anyway and struggled to have any influence in the game. And Sterling, to be fair, you know, ran around a lot, smashing into people and generally being being a nuisance and was arguably their best player. But again, not in a, not in, not in the creative sense that Bernardo McGregor and O'Reilly have got, you know, both in terms of their pressing capabilities and then the ability to move the ball up the pitch. So that midfield area for me was absolutely key. Um, no, there weren't many huge areas of quality in the game. But as I say, I think a lot of that has to do with A, the fact that both teams are pressing so high, and then B, you've got the game state. Celtic were 2-0 up and then playing against 10 players for, for quite a long period. So that tended to sort of um, mean that you had kind of control that they were happy not to really do much with uh, until the last sort of 10 minutes, which we can get on to. Mm. Yeah, the... Callum McGregor mentioned intensity when he was speaking to the hospitality suite after the game, James. He said that they knew going into the game that if they played with intensity and got at them, in his words, he said that they could unravel. And it did seem like Rangers were unraveling for quite a bit of that game, especially with their their passing out from the back and the play breaking down uh, from the midfield forward. But in terms of the Celtic angle here, we'll talk about the midfield in depth in a little while because we want to mention Matt O'Reilly at 100 games and that'll all come into it. But there was an intensity to Celtic's play, particularly the counter press um, that you, we haven't really seen so far this last couple of months. Uh, might have seen it in the Champions League. Do you think that is to do with the fact that you know it's a higher level opposition and they actually get the opportunity to counter press? Or do you think this is something that we could see from Celtic going forward now that, you know, maybe they finally figured out what they're trying to do in the midfield. I think some of it is maybe some misperception on the broader context, which is Roger's side actually has been pressing and counter-pressing more intensively than what we did under Ange. And I think that's probably not the broader perception. And I think because of that, and partly some of our issues with wing play and some of the other chronic issues that we've been talking about in recent months, teams aren't all that bothered with trying to build out from the back. They're just going long to a large degree. So you've had this, you know, lack of opportunity to be effective. And I think, you know, we'll get onto that a little bit when we talk about the St. Mirren game, they they were a little more adventurous in that regard. I mean, they were, they were farther forward than you would probably normally expect them to be or a lot of people would, they've actually been doing this at home this season, by the way. So I think that it wasn't all that surprising, but that creates space. And then that's obviously allows us to uh, use those midfielders and to use guys like Palma uh, to progress the ball. And then when they do lose possession at times, it's that space of, of counter pressing. And, you know, Rangers are a 
version of that, just not as, uh, you know, severe in their proclivities to go long. So they obviously go long uh, with more intensity and frequency than, than Celtic do, but nowhere near what we, we face. So I, I, I think the, you know, I'll, I'll say from an analytical perspective, there, there's a natural inclination. I'll call it Darby dust, right? So when you come out of a win like this, uh, you get kind of a blanket of, of Darby dust that gets sprinkled on everybody's performance and, you know, these narratives that come out of it. I think the intensity part of it is a natural one that are, that's going to get that, that card's going to get played. Um, so, you know, do I, do I, I, I do think that it, it was, you would expect it first of all, I mean, we're at home, all, all our supporters, it's a Derby. I mean, come on, if you're not getting up for that game, then just get the hell out <laughs> would be my view. Uh, so it's not the same as, you know, second half or first half versus St. Johnston or Kilmarnock where there were, you know, legit issues with some passivity and lethargy. So, you know, I, I think the fact that we were more intense, I mean, hello, we should be. Do I think that was the material aspect of, of the way that things went down? Not really. I, to, to Alan's point, mm-hmm. I mean, there just wasn't a lot. In my view, I don't think there was a lot in the game between the two teams. Both were pretty poor in a lot of different ways, in different ways, but uh, you know, poor nonetheless. And some of it was conditions, some of it was injuries. Both teams, you know, I, I agree. We dominated the midfield to a large extent, but you know, they've I, they keep persisting with the uh, certain experiments with two of those players, Lundstrom and Cantwell, which. You know, I, I still find um, mystifying, but some of that's because of injury. They've had severe injuries in the midfield, just like we've had severe, significant injuries in the back line. So, you know, I, I think that's, you know, important context to all this. Um, and, and ultimately it was, it came down to moments of, of quality and capitalizing on mistakes. You had Seema's really dreadful header that Bernardo just had a brilliant finish on and, Again, Darby Dust, we had some colossally horrible play in our defensive third that they just vomited all over themselves. I mean, you you had a two on a three on two with Cantwell <laughs> central facing up our two center backs and totally shat it. I mean, it was just like pathetically so. Um, so gloriously so in our from our perspective but again there there was you know three or four of those kind of sequences of play where we were in big trouble potentially and they just completely wet the bed so i, I again I, mm-hmm. I think that kind of clouds the the some of the these other issues as far as the quality of play from both teams um and, and the concerning part of it is obviously if they do make some changes personnel-wise, uh, which, you know, one of those is definitely going to be changed in Dessers. Um, you know, that that's, you see a pathway to more competitiveness in, 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 um, in future games. But, but yeah, so I, you know, it, it, was, it was about intensity, which you would expect, and those moments of quality, which I think was really the, the determinant of the game. Mm. Well, by the sounds of it, Fabio Silva from Wolves, who was a Celtic target, Aren't I they believe, all? is joining Rangers on um, is joining Rangers on loan. That's according to Sky Sports today. So uh, we'll wait and see if that goes through. He, he's still like one of these, you know. He 
he could be great. He could be terrible. You know, he's, he's it's a it's a coin flip kind of thing with him anyway. But um, in terms of the stats here, Alan, I'm going to throw these out. So these are from FatMob. Uh, the XG was 0.74 Celtic to nine point or 0.94 for Rangers. Uh, Celtic had 54% possession. Rangers had 14 shots to Celtic's 12. And Celtic had five shots on target to Rangers' three. In terms of the actual stats, in terms of those overall numbers, you could say that Rangers played better because of the XG. But let's explain why those aren't really a great representation of the game. What what did you see from Celtic that was um, dominant um, in comparison? Yeah, so I mean, uh, there's different XG models, and and I think the stats bomb one probably generally is even lower, usually lower than than that. I think, but but similarly quite close. My sort of um, you know analog XG model actually had the had the had the gap a little bit more than that in 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 the Rangers' favour. But you know the, these things are heavily influenced, as I say, by game state and and you know when did these um, when did these uh, chances occur. And certainly for uh, for the Rangers, a lot of those a lot of those chances kind of came very late in the in the game. Um, uh, you know, in the in the in the in the bits of the game where the match was decided, if you like, there was really nothing in it in the early stages and until Celtic scored. And then um, you know they, they had a, a flurry of quite sort of poor quality chances, mostly sort of shots outside uh, the box or from, from 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 very unpromising angles. And then the second goal. Kind of right on at halftime. It's the timing of it is just crucial. Just anything that was said at halftime kind of goes out the window at that point when you go two nil up, and then and then Celtic were pretty much comfortable, and then sending off kind of cemented it, and we sort of fell into a lull of containing the game. So we're not racking up xG ourselves. We don't need to. Um, they can't get the ball, so they're not doing anything. And so the so the xG this is where you know the single game xG can be a little bit a little bit misleading. Um, and I, I mean somebody did raise a good point that. I think even over the six, if you look at the six or seven matches has been in 2023 between the sides uh, in which they won one, and, and that was the one that didn't, it really didn't matter. It was a dead rubber um, in that sense. Um, the, the XG, I think they may even have slightly higher over those six or seven games. But again, what what, I'd, what I would like to do is go back and look at the context of that and see well, when, when are the teams generating the XG? Are they generating it when they're you know, a nil-nil, or they're generating it when they're a goal behind and chasing the game, because these are the sort of things that, that kind of matter as far as context is concerned. So in this case, I think you have to look at the, the context, but the, I'll caveat it by saying that, you know, Celtic did pretty much lose control for those last 10, well, it was nearly 20 minutes, actually, when the subs came on, with about seven minutes to go, and then there was another 11 minutes of added time, so about 18 minutes of the last 18 minutes of the game. Celtic kind of lost control of the of the game without actually giving up any great chances. Cause again, there, 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 there were a few shots uh, in that period. None of them were particularly um, dangerous. Uh, they were either easily blocked off or, or they were from unpromising uh, positions. So, but still it, it was, a, it was a bit, it was unnecessarily tense, I think for that last 17, 18 minutes. But prior to that, as I say, I wouldn't read too much into the XG in terms of how Celtic uh, had had general control of the game. It was one of those situations where it didn't look like anybody had control of the game because some of the passing was just so sloppy at times, particularly coming out from the back. Um, but let's focus on the midfield because when we asked for questions on Twitter ahead of this podcast, 
one name just keeps popping up over and over and over again, James, and that is uh, Paolo Bernardo. Again, we have our new, uh, you know, knight on a white horse coming in and and saving the day, scored a couple of goals, has a couple of assists to his name now in the in the last couple of games, and people want him bought permanently, um, which is a, a, a great turnaround, a great U-turn from uh, we shouldn't be bringing in any uh, development players um, from the last couple of weeks. But he did get the first goal, a really nice uh, volley from, you know, as we said, a, a corner that was headed out to the center of the box. It was, box, a, it was, but it was really a good well assist taken. by Seema. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was right on the money for him. Um, is is Bernardo now it? Is is this the midfield trio that we've been searching for? Um, until Hatati is back, Hatati is back now as well. So, do we suddenly now have a midfield where there's actual genuine competition and good competition, as opposed to who's the worst or who's the least bad option in that third uh, midfield slot? It's certainly been encouraging. I mean, I, I think the degree with which he was relatively anonymous in games, you know, doing kind of workmanlike jobs, particularly in Europe, but not really impacting games to a significant degree was almost, you know, um, comically consistent. But we're, again, we're dealing with small sample size. We're dealing with a young man who's what, 21, um, or I think he's 20 or 21 and, and adjusting. So I, I think, that context is really important and it's just not that many games that he's played. So the fact that he he's coming out of his shell, let's say, and had some moments of quality here is certainly encouraging, particularly given how the, the context of a huge Derby game. But I would also say, you know, tap the brakes, <laughs> you know, we want to see it. And that's the nice part about having him for the, the remainder of the season is hopefully this is him blossoming. Hopefully, you know, he's showing some of the quality that one would expect just from a profile perspective from base off of, you know, he, he played at a really young level, limited minutes. Yes. But to him to get to the point where he played for Benfica in champions league games, even as a sub for 10 or 15 minutes, I mean, that's, you know, no, normally a player just doesn't get that opportunity because they're obligated or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So there, there, you would think he's got something about him, given that profile. And now that we're actually seeing some of it, I mean, that that pass to, again, it's context. It's against a 10-man St. Marin who's bunkered at the 18, you know, uh, at the 18 and in. So, you know, no one was really pressuring him, but that's a great pass to Taylor yesterday. You know, that's a moment of quality that he, we haven't seen from him yet um, up until this point. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully this is the beginning of his confidence turning and it, and it is him blossoming. But, you know, it, it's fun to have these conversations and speculate. But fortunately, we don't have to make that decision. We, I don't think we should be making this. And the, the whole point of paying a loan fee and to have the option to buy is let's get the full season of how he plays under, you know, our collective belts, and then you can make an informed decision. Um, so yeah, very mm. positive that, that it's happened, and let's just let's see how it goes. Kind of thing would be my view. Yeah, I do think it helps that Cal McGregor played quite well here as well, Alan, because I was watching him at, at times in this derby, and I was like. If only he could bring that hatred out for every single game, because you can just you can just see like that he grew up ar- around the derby and what it actually means, and he was he was mouthing at Cantwell and he was getting in the face of some of the Rangers players, and he like when you talk about intensity, he was 
bringing the intensity that was expected of a Celtic captain on Derby Day, which is just great to see. And he took control of the game when he needed to take control of the game. And when Cal McGregor plays as well as he can play, Matt O'Reilly does his thing. I think having Bernardo in there as someone who can do the dirty work, but also have that little bit of skill in the final third that he's comfortable to take that on the volley, that that is, it's a decent mix there, at least on face value and on what we've seen the last couple of weeks without getting too ahead of ourselves. You know, it's, I think it's a good word to use. It's a, it's a good mix. Um, and, and, and whereas a lot of times this season, we've kind of bemoaned the fall off in quality of players that we have this season versus last. Um, what I should say to balance that is that Palmer, even Palmer, is a far more effective presser and counter-presser than Jota. And Bernardo is a far more effective presser and counter-presser than Hatati. So although you're losing a lot of final third creativity and goal threat by not having those uh, two players, you're actually improving your defensive solidity. And in a game like that derby, that matters. Right, so and, and I, I agree with James. It, you know, Celtic didn't win because they had, just because they had better pressing stats, but you, it's very difficult to quantify the cumulative impact of rushing your opponent and, and making them look bad by by putting them under pressure all the time. Right, so you've, because it's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of like the art of defending. You're avoiding trouble by it not 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 appearing in the first place. Right, so I, I do think it was systemically important to the game, and that we did, and, and we and we demonstrably did that part of the game far better than the opponent. And therefore, you know, I, th- I, th- I do think that helps in terms of the victory. But I do agree that it ultimately came down to quality moments, uh, for, especially from Bernardo and Kyogo. But yes, to come, to come back to that that mix, like you say, um, if you look at Bernardo's profile, and it's very early days, and, and we don't have enough data, and I completely agree with James, we need to, let's just see how he beds in. Let's see if this is not one of these kind of little streaks that we saw from some players last season and then it peters out or is it actually he's going to sort of grow into his role on a more consistent basis is that actually off the ball, as I say, he's he's actually in some ways, he's, he's even outperforming O'Reilly in terms of the defensive side of the game um, in so far. And, now, and that was especially effective in Champions League games, I think. Um, on the creative side, He's he's a bit he profiles a little bit like O'Reilly Light, <laughs> you know his, his goal threat, getting into the box, his assisting passes. But again, you know, it's two assists last night. It's only one game, but if he can build on that, then you are looking at a player whose profiles very similarly to to O'Reilly in in many ways actually. So that that's a that's a good thing, right? So um, yeah, mm. listen, it's definitely getting more optimistic, and definitely over the last three games or so, that midfield has started to look like a proper functioning midfield to me um so that that's been that's been and, and and really if you've got a front five of palma kyogo maeda and then o'reilly and bernardo that's that is a pressing machine that is a really effective pressing unit um and i, I you know there's a lot of question marks that in, in that in that group as far as creativity and final third effectiveness and all that i completely accept that but certainly off the ball I think that's a pretty good front five in that regard. Yeah. And again, that sort of counterpressing is solving the issue of Cal McGregor and his age regression and the issues that we saw with Scott Brown where, you know, at the, 
at the time of Scott Brown was falling off a cliff physically, Celtic opened up the pitch and allowed Tims to just counterattack and expose him as much as possible. Whereas if you have counterpressing, then you don't have the teams getting out as much to expose Cal McGregor on the on the counterattack. On Bernardo, he does look he does look like Matt O'Reilly as well. I don't know if, if it's just me who who's like with the socks down near the ankles, the Langley sort of way that he runs the amount of times that I think oh geez what's Matt O'Reilly doing back there and it's actually Bernardo is uh, is quite something but I've been I've been very impressed with him I'm not going to jump the gun just yet but one person I will jump the gun on is Matt O'Reilly because he has been Celtic standout player this season playing like a man that I think had a conversation with Brendan Rodgers at the start of the season and Brendan Rodgers told him he would get a move to a top ten club in the Premier League next year if he really pulls um, pulls in some some performances, and that's what he's been doing. A hundred games under his belt after the Saint Mirren game, um, he's had forty four goal, goal contributions in a hundred matches, eighteen goals, twenty six assists. I think are the correct numbers, Alan. You might correct me on that if it's if it's not. Um, but yeah, he's he's really kicked on this season, James. And after a hundred games, you would say that he looks like the real bit of quality. I always think there's two to three players in the Celtic team that always look uh, that little step ahead of the rest. And Matt O'Reilly seems to be the, the cream of the crop at the minute. The the big concern or question, and I don't, I don't think Alan and I generally shared this, but one of the narratives about O'Reilly last season was, yes, he's been good, but he hadn't had that goal threat or you know scored as much as you would want or think. Uh, someone of his reputation and playing that role within a Celtic side out of uh, attacking midfield. And that's what's been great about this season is not only have the goals come, but it's well supported, meaning that this is not him just having a purple patch of finishing. Uh, This is really, you know, him getting into the box more, uh, taking good chances. You know, generally speaking, his average chance quality is pretty good. So he, he it, it, it's kind of well supported. So whereas last season it was more so just you know a, co- a combination of um, some not great finishing at times, some lumpiness there, as well as you know I always say you know opposition keepers had, doing a pretty decent job against him for some reason. Um, you know that that distribution for him w- w- wasn't great last year. So I, I think that's the thing. I mean, if you if you get um, and Alan is, is more versed on these kind of benchmarking historically. But if you get uh, an attacking midfielder who's kind of 0. 0.30 plus in XG on average per game, and they're creating open play chances at like a 0. 0.15 to 0. 0.2 in, in an ex- expected assist, you know, you kind of combine, get up into that half a goal of expected total goal contribution. I and mean, that, that's where you get into that really high level. That's the Tom Rogic. That's the you know, the goal production, you know, kind of peak Ryan Christie. That's, that's when you get into that echelon. And that's, that's where he's arrived last season. The mix was a little different last season. But again, I think a lot of that had to do with system with Ange ball his, his creativity was really the overweight in that mix. Uh, and this season it's kind of recalibrated where you more traditionally want to see an attacking Celtic midfielder where that goal threat is there. Um, and, and like I said, that the, the good part is that the quality has been consistent for, for both. And that, that's why he probably will get, um, you know, a pretty big move. I, I, I'd say the – again, if I'm, if I'm being an a-hole, if I, if I was a scout for the English Premier League, that 
the one nagging question I think is still relative to his kind of raw athleticism, you know, kind of quickness and speed at that level where you just, you're dealing with a different animal, um, with the, the size and speed and quickness of athletes. So, you know, I, I hope he's able to adjust at that level, but I, I even within his data, like there's still, you know, the, that, that's still a question mark. Um, and just the eye test too. I mean, mm. he's not, he doesn't have that flat out speed, um, obviously. So, uh, that, that, that will be, I think the make or break for him, up, up, you know, if he gets to that, to your point, that top 10 is a different echelon in, in the premier league, but yeah, for him to be in a bottom half in the premier league, I think that's, that's, um, almost a slam dunk. Yeah. Alan. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I mean, it's an, it's another question of physicality because I've all, I've wondered for the last couple of months since the Champions League, is there something inherently different about the athlete's playing at the higher level clubs or is it a chicken egg sort of thing where they're playing at the higher level clubs and then they have that physicality afterwards because it did seem like Matt O'Reilly was absolutely destroyed after about 65 minutes in the Champions League and my question is is that is that him at his threshold or is that the threshold that he has at Celtic because of the methods that Celtic use at training and how you compare that to Real Madrid and and sports science and all of that but in terms of um, what he's done for Celtic this season. Do you get the feeling that it's a Matt O'Reilly pushed on himself sort of situation where he looked at what he needed to improve and he's done that? Or do you see this as a sort of a, a, a mix between him improving naturally as he matures and then the system 
that he's playing and being that little bit different to it's weighted more towards him. So you're seeing more of him in more dangerous positions. As we've talked about many times, you know, to answer any question and then attribute what is the reason for it, there's going to be a range of things. And, and we and we essentially end up arguing about the percentages that you want to attribute to each of those things. So without getting into all that, I think it's all of the things you've said, I'm sure will have contributed. Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain and I think you know we can all see from Matt O'Reilly's demeanour and the comments he made when Rogers came in that he wasn't particularly happy under Postacoglu. And my personal view, this is an opinion, is that that had to do with the relative, partly at least, and there may have been many things, but partly at least, like not being said hello to at breakfast, I don't know. But it's partly to do with um, just the, the more sort of tactical straitjacket, if you like, that, that Postacoglu's sides do play under um, versus the freedom that I think I've mentioned that he, I think he's had under Rogers, and especially in decision-making about, um, you know, he's, he's definitely been getting into the box more, but yet he's the one that comes back and, and sits with McGregor as well. So that's a lot of ground to cover, and that's a lot of decisions to make about where to go and when to go. And I think he's such an intelligent player, I think he's relished being given that freedom to make those decisions and to be on, be on the pitch where he thinks he can make the most difference, within always within a tactical framework. It's not complete freedom. Uh, you know, just do what you want. But it's it's you know he, 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 you know he's been looks like he's been given a job to get inside the box, be the midfielder that does that, and he's def, that's definitely happening. And as James said, his xG and all his number of shots and all that's gone right up. But he's also the one that's getting back and supporting McGregor when he, when he needs to. So his defensive stats uh, are, are, are creeping up as well. The one part of his game that has suffered is, is as James said, is expected assists uh, and, and secondary assisting passes. And his pack passing have all kind of gone down. So his creative passing, essentially, has all come down. Uh, but actually, his overall expected scoring contribution has been maintained. It's just that he's contributing more from a scoring perspective than an assisting perspective. Um, so he's he's actually in all three seasons he's at 0.64 expected scoring contribution, absolutely consistent every season. That hasn't gone up this season. Um, it's just it's just calibrated differently. It's more geared towards goals than assists. Um, so when you look at O'Reilly, you know, and and you start talking about you know, has to come back to when you get players like him, then I think he will break Celtic's transfer record when he goes. I think we'll get more money for O'Reilly than we got for Tierney and Jota. Um, players at that level, they, they generally have one or two super strengths, super skills, right? Of all the list of attributes, you know, if, if they've got 10 super strengths, they're messy. If they've got one or two, they're just a very good player, right? So Matt O'Reilly's a very good player. And his super strengths, really, uh, is probably, probably uh, two things. One is um, he's got a knack. Although I said his passing, his packing stats are not the highest in the squad. What is always the highest in the squad in the time he's been here is he takes more defenders out of the game than anybody else. So he seems to have a knack of being able to get take people out from that last line. Now, interestingly, Palmer has that as well. It probably gets lost in the in the absolute sheer volume of awful passes and times he gives the ball away, but Palmer's actually pretty productive in that sense too. So that, which is great news, but O'Reilly, he, he takes defenders out of the game. So we talk about packing. It's great taking, taking players out of the game. But if you can take the last line out and, and, and the ball to Maeda, 
yesterday, he took all five of St Mirren's defenders out of the game with that one pass. Right, nobody else in the squad can do that as consistently as he can. That's a super strength. The second uh, super strength he's got is um, again measured by packing data is the amount of recoveries. So he he is able to recover the ball in such a way that the opponents uh, have players wrong side to a greater extent than anyone else in the squad. And that again is a, is a is a super strength. And nobody has as high a positive differential between. The number of times he um, recovers the ball versus the number of times he, tur- he turns it over, he's, he's got a massively positive differential, as opposed to somebody like a Palmer or a Hatati, who, who put a lot more risk into the game and tend to have a negative differential in, in that key stat. So those are the two. That's I think those are the, his two super strengths. Um, and as I say, I'd, I would be really surprised if he went in this window, because it, it wouldn't make any sense for Celtic to sell him in this window, um, because you're basically saying. You're going to take possibly 30 million for a player to gamble 60 million in the Champions League. It makes absolutely no economic sense at all. But I would I would be astounded if he doesn't get sold or doesn't doesn't go to a big club uh, next summer. You so you you mean this window as in summer? You don't see him going at the end of the season? No, no. I'm saying I'd be I'd be astounded if Celtic thought it prudent to sell him in January. I think he'll go in the summer. Ah, okay. I think he'll go yeah, in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd be very, very surprised if Matt O'Reilly was still at Celtic next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a from a business perspective, we speak about this quite a bit on the podcast, James. I know you're a big advocate in it that Celtic need to start selling when the price is high, as opposed to waiting that extra year and hoping that they'll kick on even further. I think that that, that with a couple of players, Edouard being one, Ayer being another, Dembele being another, like they just hold on Christy to them for that one extra We can keep going yeah. down the list. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a there's a there's at least ten names you could just rattle off that they they had better offers the season before. They waited for a higher offer the following year. The player gets pissed off because they wanted to go, and suddenly they're not the same player as they were uh, in the summer market. So I don't I don't get the opinion that Matt O'Reilly would ever down tools like that, but I think. Um, from a pure business perspective, it would make sense. And again, these are, you know, you don't want to lose players like Matt O'Reilly because they're fantastic players and they're brilliant players. But if you want to continue to bring in better players as opposed to, uh, you know, the the wastage that we spent over the last number of years, you need to sell when Matt O'Reilly is worth 40 million and not worth 25 million because that 15 million makes a, a big difference. Well, and one, one of the things I said, and I don't, I don't remember if I wrote about it, but you know, the, the the idea that we and the, you know I think there's decent evidence that uh, makes this statement um, possibly true is that we lucked into Matt O'Reilly, meaning that the the, the priority signing that window from Ange was was his name McCree or something, I forget the guy. He was an Aussie midfielder, yeah. Riley McCree. Yeah, he went to middle school. Yeah, and. When when I looked at the two players, the you know, and I have like an ensemble pro- part of my process when I do these player benchmarking, and one of the things that I'm looking for for players is um, potential signal amongst the noise of IQ, as I call it, meaning that do they have spatial intelligence? Are they the type of player that makes good decisions, or are they, you know? the Palma types <laughs> where that does, there's not evidence of that uh, where they're, they're incredibly talented, but their decision-making, you know, we talk about this with Mikey Johnston, right? You, you get certain players that just either it's a developmental issue. I mean, they're in that age bracket where their brain hasn't stopped developing yet, 
or some people are just gifted in ways that others aren't. And that's O'Reilly showed clear evidence of that in his time in the championship, I think it was, and then more prominently in League One, uh, where we signed him out of, was, you know, he ticked all, kind of all the boxes of earmarkers that I look for as far as that uh, potential evidence of that high IQ ability of spatial intelligence. And that's, you know, that when, when I hear Alan talk about what his superpowers are, to me, that is a manifestation of someone who has high spatial intelligence. He's able to anticipate things. You know, he's playing chess when most other players are playing checkers kind of thing. He's thinking about, you know, one or two steps ahead of everyone else as far as where the ball may go and, and anticipate and be in those areas. And that that's where, again, it's this this scatter plot where, um, you know, that, that ability can compensate for the the lack of raw athletic speed and quickness until you get to a certain point <laughs> when, when you, when you get, you know, yeah. guys that are six, two and extremely fast and quick that also happen to have spatial intelligence, which is where you get into the top, you know, three or four teams in the world type of thing um, where, where almost all of the players are, are built that way. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, so the fact that we kind of lucked into them, um, so this goes back to this issue of recruitment and, and, you know, um, the attribution of recruitment. And um, so he, he definitely had earmarkers of, of quality and, and, you know, hopefully we're going to, you know, benefit from that financially. Uh, but is it repeatable? Are we looking for those attributes on a consistent basis uh, and looking for that kind of high IQ player? And that's where I think the track record's a lot more mixed, shall we say. I'm not sure I've seen the mm-hmm. evidence of that being an earmarker that's being sought out. And just a final point on Matt O'Reilly as well. On top of all of that, I think he's got a, quite a bit of emotional maturity as well for a player of his age in terms of just the mentality to actually push himself on and improve. Like when he got released by Fulham at the time, I think it was before his move to League One, he still went out and trained um, and ended up, I think it was he's got his move to MK Dons by actually, he was training in a park and spoke to the MK Dons coach and eventually uh, went training with them and then was signed with them. If I remember the story correctly, it's a couple of years ago, though. He, so you know, he he, 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 ref- that. he refused a contract at Fulham. He was offered a contract at Fulham. He would have made a lot more money, okay. but he wasn't guaranteed first-team football, so he took the decision to leave and be a free agent. Yes, that was that was the story. Yeah, um, I couldn't. I knew it was something like that. But I couldn't remember the exact tale. It was like three years ago. So, um, but yeah, he he did that firstly, and then I believe he hired a life coach as well um, to work on his mental side of the game over the last number of years. Um, which again, like if you buy into that stuff, great. It can be really beneficial. You know, some people don't buy into it, but um, I think that's generally one of those things that if you if you work at it and you buy into it, that it generally does help quite a bit and maybe that's what's uh, helping him push on for Celtic as well but we'll finish off with the defence um, and we'll mix this between the two games of the Rangers game and the St Mirren game the starting defence against Rangers was Saint, uh, was Liam Scales and Stephen Welsh at centre back now Stephen Welsh once again has picked up an injury which is really unfortunate but he came in ahead of uh, Lagerbielka and of Mike Navratsky for that game in replacement for Cameron Carter-Vickers who's out injured. Uh, Mike, Mike Navratsky, I think he did quite well after a shaky start 
um, in that derby. I think he did okay after the about five or ten minutes of getting a climate house to it. Uh, Lager Bielka played in the game against St. Mirren, had an appearance, so we're starting to see a little bit more rotation of those guys. Actually, you know, our summer signings do <laughs> exist and they are still at the club and they're still willing to play. Um, Nat Phillips has gone home to Liverpool, so we don't need to worry about him. But uh, Mike Novroski against Rangers, uh, Alan, he came on and played 55 minutes. He had 33 of uh, 39 accurate passes, seven passes into the final third, he had three-headed clearances, four recoveries. I think most of the good stuff that we saw from him was on the ground as opposed to in the air. But what did you make of him post the five minutes of sort of scariness when he first came on? Because he was he did look a little bit rusty. Yeah, I think he gave the ball away his first pass, but uh, it wasn't so much him individually. I just think collectively once Welsh went off, the, we seemed to lose some composure. Uh, Welsh actually wasn't having a good time, even when he was on the pitch, to be honest with you. Um, he, he wasn't entirely convincing. Um, but, you know, it was a bit of a mixed bag, I think. That that right side, I mean, Johnson Johnson had eight tur- pack turnovers uh, during the game, which is an incredible number. I mean, that's incredibly, especially for a fullback. It was just horrendous in, in some respects that... I mean, you know, so he got taken out of the game at times. No, so. no, he he passed the ball and gave it away, such that he put his team in trouble. Okay. Essentially, uh, left left significant okay. numbers yeah, of players yeah. on the wrong side of the ball by doing that. Um, but you know, he also won the ball back five times in his own defensive third, meaning which is four times and more times than anybody else. <laughs> so, so it's a bit like the Dessers' chance. Is that it was Johnson's error, but Johnson got back and actually saved the day by by pressurising Dessers, and, and and then he just kind of gave up and shit the bed. <laughs> so uh, it was a very mixed bag from Johnson. It wasn't all bad, um, but there was a lot of bad. I mean, seventy percent passing success rate for a fullback is not is not good. It's, been, it's not as if he he was trying a lot of extravagant through balls. I mean, he didn't have a lot in front of him in Maeda to hit. To be fair, but even so. Um, that was very skittish. Um, Taylor was actually pretty good. Again, his passing was a bit awry, but he was, he was kind of solid. Uh, and actually, was I mean, Taylor was incredibly good in, in duels. He won all seven of his kind of duels, which is which is amazing. So, uh, but, he, but between them, the whole defense, uh, there was uh, seventeen times they gave the ball away, in such that they, they put their, their their own teammates out of the game. So that that was generally very bad. I think once Navrotsky settled in, like you say, he, I think he lost an aerial duel. He doesn't look very commanding in the air. And that, unfortunately, that scales Welsh and Navrotsky all, all quite limited in terms of um, their aerial uh, duel success. They're, they're much, much lower than, than, than average for a Celtic centre-back in that regard. I think you know, they, can, they make up for it in other ways, for sure. There's other strengths there. But you know, I did, I did a, a piece on this before the game just to show that with those three players, Celtic are very exposed to a team that's going to play a long ball game, like like the Rangers did. It's I, I wasn't looking forward to perhaps Seema challenging Welsh in the air for 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 flicks and knock ons. I mean, it didn't transpire that way actually. Um, but you know, even Dessers is, is a pretty big guy, right? So it's definitely a risk. I don't think we suffered from it too much. And and Navrotsky, the highlight for me, he, he absolutely pinged two, two line-breaking passes through, which I thought were things of beauty. I mean, he absolutely laced them through the eye of a needle. 
I thought that was great. I'd love to see more of that. Uh, those, those won't always work, by the way. So you'll get into trouble with some of these. But when you hit the ball that hard along the ground, even if somebody intercepts it, you probably might get away with it because it'll just like f- fly off somewhere. Um, but yeah, that, that that impressed me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I quite like what I've seen of him in, in general sense. I just, as I say, if, if we're going to be without Carter Vickers for a period, we're going to have a team that's quite exposed to, 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 to aerial duels, especially. And the Vrotsky also doesn't look massively quick and, and neither is scales so um that's also mm. a concern uh, really especially as we're we're actually as james said in terms of we're, we're pressing more we're counter pressing more under rogers and we're also playing a higher line under rogers none of those things i don't think are intuitive to people in terms of their perception but but they are nevertheless true so we are being more aggressive in our defending in, in many respects uh, and i think having two slow center backs who are not great in the air it's kind of a kind of a risk, but we'll see. I do think, and this isn't this is. I promise you, this isn't uh, Mr. PR man Endicott saying this, but I do think Liam Scales is quicker than he looks at times. I think he does have good recovery pace. It's by SPFL standards, at least, not in the Champions League or at the higher levels. I do think he's semi-decent at recovering and because because a lot of the time he has to recover because he jumps in and might <laughs> might lose the, the, the duel. But um, in terms of the defense and James, just moving forward, if Cameron Carver-Vickers is out injured, Stephen Welsh is out injured, it, I mean, it's going to be Navratsky, um who's going to be playing beside Liam Skills. If we take all the context that we gave earlier about the counter-pressing and how good the midfield was at doing that against Rangers... Surely, against the rest of the league, we should still be relatively comfortable in the position of centre back because, you know, theoretically at least, the we shouldn't have to do that much defending. This is where the stacking of risks comes in—the concept that we keep coming back to—and the issue with Navrasky, and this was evident in the profile that I did of him when we signed him, was the the areas that I was worried about was his acclimation of the physical part of defending in Scotland and that the evidence was that, you know, again, it's always evidence. It's, you don't know until you see it, but I think so far uh, what we've seen would, would validate it. Uh, those concerns is that, you know, he is vulnerable to getting bullied a little bit. And we saw that on, you know, Dessers rolling him that resulted in the free kick. So I, I think there's that aspect of it. Which again, for the most part, he's not going to face that too much. I mean, you know, for all the issues that Dessers has had at Rangers, he's still of a quality that's different than what we're going to face with a Livingston striker or you know a Ross County striker. But the the bigger stacking issue that I have, the stacking of risks, is on set pieces and with Hart. And Hart has effectively become a potted plant on his line when it comes to any kind of crossed ball, and with you know, I, I think Scales gets a little bit of unfair criticism early. I mean, I, I think the evidence there, he gets caught under the ball, which I think is his bigger problem. When he's actually in position to have an aerial duel, the evidence, and, you know, I think he's actually fourth in the league in um, mm-hmm. stats bombs, what they call hops duel, which is like their ELO-based aerial duel scoring system uh, that takes the quality of the opposition dueler I've said this before, you know, winning a duel against Greg Taylor is not the same as winning a duel against Carter Vickers. So you get much more points, quote unquote, if you win it against a better uh, aerial duel person. So 
uh, Scales is actually a pretty effective, uh, particularly given his size. And again, I think some of that's because of his, you know, decent jumping ability and athleticism. Um, so I, I think we're, we're okay with Scales there on set pieces, but I'm really concerned on Nebraska and, and kind of the the mix then with the midfield and. You know, this is where it comes down to, you know, things like Bernardo versus Atate, things like, um, you know, uh, who gets selected at, at, at the wing position, uh, that type of thing. Because, you know, we're generally not going to have a striker who's going to be able to compete defensively on aerial, you know, balls in, in our own box. You know, so that, that pretty much puts you a man down. <laughs> and then with Taylor, another man down, again, they can fight. But when you have a keeper that's not moving and you're able to have almost an unfettered access to, you know, basically four yards between that four and 12 yard area, uh, that, that becomes a real issue. And, and it, this is the, the intractable problem with Hart, meaning that I'm not sure I want him coming for those balls because he's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, the, uh, be careful what you ask for, meaning that, uh, you know, is, is it almost better for him to be stationary rather than kind of go flailing out when you know the evidence is that he more so than not he may not get there um so that that's that's my bigger pre- Navrosky's passing and that was in his profile I and mean, he's he is going to not only has the ability to do those lines splitting passes but counter to somebody like Starfelt, he actually has the appetite for it he's got that risk-taking appetite to say i'm going to try this and um you know, so you have to have both and not, not, you know, somebody like McGregor, I would argue to his deficit at times, he's almost too conservative. He has the ability to play some of those line splitting passes centrally and doesn't do it at the frequency I'd like to see him do it. Um, whereas I think Navrosky seems to be somebody that that's um, w- willing to go ahead and make those attempts. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. And that, mm-hmm. that might help us you know, score more actually in opposition bunkered final thirds. Um, but I think the flip side of that is, you know, one of Allen's patented uh, toxic combinations. I think our center back pairing now relative to Hart at keeper is going to possibly uh, end up with some queasy moments here for the last few months. Yeah. Hart has come for a couple of crosses earlier on in the season and it didn't, didn't look very promising, so uh, let's let's not uh, ask for that. He also should have saved the free kick. It's a you know it's it's a good free. Give we'll give Tavernier that, but um, yeah, I think I think Hart last year or two years ago, um, certainly Hart for Man City saves that free kick quite easily um, because he, he almost to be fair he got a he got a hand to it, but I think he's just he's just not there quick enough, and he'd probably admit to himself that couple of years ago with more agility he probably would have saved that pretty handily so, um, and it's a, i think but, it's a physical capability thing so goalkeeping buddies have said to me he didn't move his feet quick enough he didn't get himself moving quick enough he was he was pretty much in the center of the goal and like you say the ball wasn't right in in the sort of top bin it was kind of you know dipping as it went into the goal and he got a hand to it had he moved quicker that just and we're talking about fractions of a second but those are the margins at that level um, and, and you know it has become a liability. I'm afraid. It. Uh, I mean, well, big games, right? PSV away uh, at the Derby, New Year Derby. That's twice. How many more of these do you want? Yeah, we 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 won't bang that drum too hard because I mean we've done it uh, enough since the 
the start of the season. That's where we will park this part for uh, the time being anyway. Loads still to actually talk about from the Derby in terms of what it means for the league going forward. But there's plenty of time to do that as we move forward into the key part of the season. And I will bring you past the... Uh, I'll break the the fourth wall, as it's called. I uh, texted into the WhatsApp group last night when Celtic went 2-0 up after six minutes to say, am I getting ahead of myself to say that we'll run away with the league after Christmas? So uh, <laughs> might be on the 3rd of January saying that might be a ballsy move given there's another derby to, to come around the corner and Rangers could be within two points of Celtic um, if they win their two games at hand. But nonetheless, uh, I am positive, more positive than I was certainly last week and the week before that. So uh, we'll wait and see what happens over the next couple of weeks. James, thank you. Alan, thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody who tunes in on YouTube and on Spotify and podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, just search The Huddle Breakdown. And if you want to get us on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button as well. We shall chat to you next week. Until then, good luck. more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing we wondered the same thing so we made byheart a better formula for formula learn more at byheart.com Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 